Welcome to Under Construction. I'm your host, Marilyn Strickland, CEO of the Seattle Metro Chamber. In each episode, we take you behind the scenes with the people and companies shaping our evolving region. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And if you like what you hear, please rate us and subscribe. And a special thank you to our sponsor, Alaska Airlines. Today we have in the studio with us Brian McGowan, who is CEO of the Greater Seattle Partners. Brian, thank you for being with us today. My pleasure. Well, let's start with an introduction of Greater Seattle Partners to our listening audience who may not know who you are and what you do. So Greater Seattle Partners is a brand new uh, regional economic development corporation. So we represent uh, the three counties that make up the metropolitan area, uh, Snohomish, King, and Pierce County. Um, Our job is to make sure that our economy is growing in an equitable and sustainable way. Um, so we wa- our job is to really market the region around the world, um, make sure we're telling our story. There's lots of misperceptions or lack of perception about this region. Um, so our job is to get out there and tell people why this is a great place to live, work, and play. No, I think it's really interesting you say that because you and I have had this conversation about how some folks think that Starbucks is a New York-based company. They think <laughs> that Amazon is a Silicon Valley-based company. Yeah, it's true. And they even think that Boeing is based in Chicago, which it kind of is, but this will always be Boeing's home. <laughs> Brian, can you tell us about why you think Seattle's so special? You have lived in Atlanta. You lived in California. You lived in D.C. Talk about what mm-hmm. you think makes Seattle so special and why you were excited to take this job. Well, number one, this is a, um, it's a beautiful place to live. So it's the most beautiful place I've ever lived in the United States. Um, it's very, um, the outdoors, I'm a mountain biker. Uh, we snowboard and ski and wakeboard and do and hike and do all those things. So there's really no better place in the country from my perspective to do that. But I think um, from an economic development perspective, um, this region is a very unique kind of an economy. It punches above its weight. Um, so we're the second fastest growing economy in the United States. Uh, we're the second most productive economy in the United States. Uh, we're the 11th largest economy in the United States. Atlanta happens to be number 10. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very competitive, so. <laughs> you have to bring that up. Yeah, I want to. Well, I mean, I'm going to knock them out of the number, uh, the top 10. Right. Um, but it's a very big, diverse economy. We have companies here that are changing the world. Uh, we have uh, big uh, global brands. We are... Uh, curing cancer and global health problems. We're inventing new uh, nuclear reactors. We're uh, new technology on solar uh, uh, generation, power generation. Um, we're building space capsules and rocket engines and exercise equipment and toys. This is a, just a remarkable uh, economy that punches above its weight. So I, I wanted to be a part of that. No, and it really is a hotbed for innovation. I want to go back to, um, you know, you talking about economic development, because I think for some people, they think that you have a meeting with someone, (laughs) you shake hands, you sign a piece of paper, and boom, investment just shows up. (laughs) Can you talk about what it's been like in your career as an economic development practitioner and just maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe help walk people through, like, the process of what it takes to actually recruit a company or just some of the challenges you face doing that work? Yeah. Well, the first thing is you have to have a desirable place to do business. Um, and so there's lots of factors that go into that. Uh, you know, it's referred to as quality of life, right? So you have to have good schools and safe neighborhoods and um, safe streets. Um, you have to have an airport. Uh, you have to have good universities. Um, you know, all, all the basics in order to uh, have a, a, a company w- want to be there and invest in, in your place. Um, 
And then at that point, you have to you have to get out and tell people what you got. So right. it's 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 product uh, marketing, really. So you got to get out and let people know. And I think it's important uh, to uh, for people to understand that uh, economic development is a very competitive game. So there's uh, other cities and other regions that want what we have. Um, I remind people as an economic developer from Atlanta, I've been here a few times mm-hmm. trying to steal your companies. Right. Um, and and this is what economic developers do. So so you have to develop uh, relationships. So you, you got to get out. You got to get on airplanes. You got to get overseas. You got to move around the country. You got to market and advertise and tell people why um, if you invest in in this city uh, or this region, uh, why your company is going to be successful and why this is uh, a, an investment that you can uh, sleep well at night knowing that it's going to be well taken care of. You know, when we talk about economic development and attracting investment and job growth, you know, we know that we're lucky here in Seattle because we have a lot of companies that have done really well that are based in Seattle, what I call homegrown, but there are also opportunities to attract investment from outside of Seattle. Can you talk about why that's important and how the local community benefits from that as far as job opportunities? So, you know, economic growth, um, I'll start up by saying economic growth in this region uh, has been extraordinary. There's no question. I said that some of the statistics earlier, but uh, the danger is that we've had hockey stick growth over the last 10 years. So what do you mean by that, Brian? It's grown just tremendously, almost hyper growth. Mm-hmm. Um, other regions like Minneapolis have had long, steady growth over long periods of time. In the last 10 years, our, one of our companies went from 8,000 employees to 53,000 right. employees, right? So that kind of growth creates massive challenges. We've seen it with affordability and homelessness and homelessness and um, transportation. Tra- transportation issues. Yep. Um, so, but it's important to, I think there's to push back against this kind of, well, we should stop growth. Uh, stopping growth is a very dangerous thing to do. Um, uh, I had I heard an economist once say that um, if your economy stops growing, it's like trying to run up a down escalator to get back what you lost. And, and there's, you know, American history is, you know, Lots of examples of cities that were once on top, uh, you know, were in Seattle's position. And they're called Cleveland. They're called Detroit. uh, They're called um, St. Louis. They're called Buffalo. Uh, So you can't kind of sit back and say, well, let's stop or slow growth. Stopping or slow growth is a very dangerous game to play. Um, But the other thing about this economy that I think is important why we need to start really thinking about growth is is how we're growing, right? Mm-hmm. So a, a lot of cities, Atlanta, uh, as an example, uh, wanted any kind of growth, any kind of jobs, anywhere, didn't matter, mm-hmm. right? Cities like in regions like ours that are experiencing hypergrowth, and they're what Brookings calls superstar cities, right. um, it's a different kind of growth. We're looking for certain kinds of jobs in certain parts of the region in order to have sustainable economic growth. So our region right now, is really good at creating $100,000 jobs and above, but we're losing the $25 to $45 an hour jobs, right? So we're barreling down the San Francisco path right now, mm-hmm. where we're going to start, we're going to we're going to be creating, we're in the process of creating an exclusive economy, not an inclusive economy. That's just not sustainable. And the other thing we've been doing is we've been creating a lot of jobs in the center of the region. This is not abnormal. Lots of regions do this, but Bellevue and Seattle have seen most of that growth. We have to be very deliberate about pushing growth north and south. And one of the ways you do that is by targeting companies that create 
jobs and the $25 to $45 an hour jobs, those jobs are more likely to locate north and south. And we also need to make sure that, you know, as our technology companies are growing, some of our startups are being successful, that they understand that they don't need to be just in the center of the region. There's lots of other places they can go. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in your uh, home city of Tacoma and the beautiful city of Everett. Uh, These are remarkable places that I think we can sustain our economic growth into the future if we if we spread that growth more equitably throughout the region. No, I completely agree with you. And, you know, one of the sometimes you hear arguments saying, well, jobs locate where the talent lives. And mm-hmm. I remind all of us every day that, well, there are lots of people who commute into Seattle from King and Pierce County. So oh, yeah. clearly there's a talent pool. Yeah, they, absolutely. You know, they're, just, they're, using, they're using mass transit and they're in their cars. Yeah. And our region's economy actually ranks as the fifth best market for talent in the world. That's right. Not in the United States, but in the world. Right. It's just a remarkable. But all those people don't live in the center of the region. They live all throughout the region. Right. And, and again, you know, to your point about, you know, Greater Seattle Partners job is to really tell the story, both both nationally and internationally. So I want to switch a bit. You talked a bit about Brookings and the study that they did. Can you talk about your experience as a non-resident senior fellow? Like, how did, how did you end up there? And tell me about some of the work you've been doing at Brookings. So I, a non-resident senior fellow sounds fancy. All, all it really means... What does it mean? And yeah, it, it means um, you have the really smart people at Brookings who actually work there. Um and they ask outside experts to kind of add, um, you know, perspective to the work that they're doing. So it's not just kind of ivory tower right. uh, kind of research. So um, my relationships with Brookings started back when I was in the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. Um, I was uh, I actually worked for former Governor Gary Locke. He was Secretary of Commerce. I was running the U.S. Economic Development Administration. And the U.S. Economic Development Administration was rethinking the way it did economic development and uh, it was really focused on regional, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of this thinking came out of the Brookings Institute that economies don't work by the little lines that we draw on maps, right? right? Uh, economies work regionally. Companies don't move to a region because of the city that they're located in. They move to a region because of all the great things that a region has to offer. I, I you know, I don't really know anybody that lives and uh, spends their entire life in the city that they live and work in, right? People... You got to go to an airport. You want to go to a football game. You want to go visit family or friends in another city. You you leave the boundaries of the city that well, you the, live in. Most people do. Yeah, the municipal boundaries that you talk about. Yeah, yeah right. And so um, I, I think uh, you know Brookings really provided us uh, policy support in making sure that we were uh, helping our economic development partners from around the country understand that you have to think regionally when you think about economic growth. And so after a few years, I, I maintained contact with them. And uh, about four or five years ago, they asked me to be a non-resident fellow. And we're really focused on the competitiveness of, of regions around America. It's actually one of the things that brought my attention to this great region. Yeah. Because as I said earlier, as we were looking at the data, uh, this region really uh, was kind of an outlier. It uh, punches above its weight, as I said earlier. Uh, and uh, we were looking at it because... Seattle region is creating jobs all over the world, right. all over the United States. Right. So just, you know, recently a great company, Seattle company called Convoy is uh, expanding all over the United States. They're creating 500 jobs in Atlanta. Uh, Starbucks is opening a, a regional uh, business support center, uh, creating another 300 jobs in Atlanta. So we have to always remember that 
our economy creating jobs in our region is important, but we're also important to our national economy because we're creating jobs everywhere. Right. So you talked about working for the Obama administration, and I think some folks may not know that you actually worked for Governor Schwarzenegger in California. So tell us what you did there. The governor. The governor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, so I was Deputy Secretary of Commerce for the state of California. Um, the state had eliminated its trade and commerce agency under the previous administration. And so all the pieces and parts of what was the Department of Commerce were kind of scattered to the wind. Uh, and then we hit a recession. And so Governor Schwarzenegger and the state started realizing, well, it's not going to fall in our lap like it used to. We're going to have to go fight for it and uh, hired me to kind of pull together the parts and pieces to um, get us back focused on economic growth. And is that <clears throat> is that effort of pulling it back together still intact now with Governor Newsom? Um, under Governor Brown, um, they they did. Uh, it's been concentrated in the governor's office okay. now. I believe it's still together under under uh, Governor Newsom. I'm not sure. All right. <laughs> so I want to switch to some media attention that you've had. You've written a couple of op-ed pieces that were very well received. And in Seattle Business Magazine, you basically said this. I don't think we should want to be San Francisco. We should want to be Seattle. And what you're saying is basically, let's be the best version of ourselves and authentic. Mm, yeah. Can you talk a bit about why you think that's important? And then share with us if there is a city outside of the U.S. that you admire or you think maybe <laughs> we should emulate. <laughs> um, so that's important because um, if you're going to market your region the way Greater Seattle Partners is going to do, it has to be authentic. Mm -hmm. So... Too many cities um, use the same imagery and the same stories to market them. So, you know, millennials drinking lattes, working in co-working spaces, riding bikes and scooters to work. Breeze. It's kind of, you could kind of take out the name of the city and insert any city. There's nothing kind of di that differentiates right. itself. The other thing, though, I think um, what is really unique uh, about the culture of this region is we like to cut our own path. I, I don't think this is a place that likes to... I, I love to compare regions against regions. Right. I, I think people here don't care. I mean, I don't think they really kind of care about how they rank against New York or Atlanta or any place else um, because I think they want to be the best, um, the best place that they can be without comparing to other places, which... I think it's a really powerful personality characteristic for a region. Well, you know, and I would say because of our geographic location, we're a bit isolated. And, you know, there are folks who I meet from other parts of the country, especially some of the bigger cities, and they think we're out here in covered wagons. And so it's interesting <laughs> when they finally get here and they see how urban it is. <laughs> yeah, and so, yeah. you know, it's interesting just kind of like, you know, the image that others have of us and then what we know about ourselves. I, I, had, I, I had a quick uh, thought here. There was yes. a, um, I had a conversation with a a CFO for one of our big Fortune 500 companies, and he said whenever he's in New York on Wall Street, he says, I think they think I live in a cabin and hunt bear. Right. Said, <laughs> which I thought was a hilarious commentary on. I think uh, there are big misperceptions about what's happening in this region. No, absolutely. You're listening to Under Construction with Marilyn Strickland. A special thank you to our sponsor, Alaska Airlines. With the most flights from the West Coast of any other airline, local to global connections, award-winning customer service and travel rewards, and a commitment to community and sustainability, you'll fly smart and land happy with Alaska. So um, one of the questions that I asked you was, you know, so tell us about a city outside of the U.S. that you admire, and what do you think is special? 
Yeah, I, I'll name a city because I've done I've done some work there. Okay. Uh, it's not a city that I, you know that necessarily we'd learn lessons from, but sure. the the spirit of it is is something that's always been remarkable to me. But it's Sofia, Bulgaria. Okay. So um, a few years back, I was doing work for the U.S. Agency for International Development, and they had a program where uh, they were helping um, cities in former formerly communist countries. Uh, create economic development programs. And so over probably a five or seven year period, I was going to Bulgaria a few times a year and often stayed in Sofia. And Sofia is just a remarkably beautiful city. Um, you know, people there have such uh, amazing spirit. This is a, a place that, you know, had suffered under communism for so many years and was working to kind of separate itself from the Soviet Union and 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 honor its history and culture uh, pre-communism. And so every time I went to Bulgaria, I was just really impressed with the uh, the spirit. And actually, you know, you come back to the United States and you realize how lucky we have right. it, you know, and how far they had to climb out of the hole to get, you know, back to, you know, um, economic parity. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it just makes you appreciate appreciate where, where you are and appreciate being an American and, um, and uh, it's just the beauty of some of these cities, uh, Eastern European cities, they're, they're kind of, they're preserved. You have this communist infrastructure, you have the pre-communist infrastructure and buildings and architecture. It's just a beautiful place. You know, I would agree that, you know, we talk about history here in the U.S., but we sometimes have to leave our shores to see what what history really looks like yeah. because it goes much further back than our country yeah. does. Which is relatively what, one young. thing I learned when I was there was just how uh, how good uh, some of these uh, smaller countries are at exports. You think about, you know, a way to create jobs within a region is to help our small and medium-sized companies export. Uh, their co their companies were so good at exports because the country was so small. Interesting. So they ha everyone had to export in order to be successful. You know, the si Bulgaria is the size of a U.S. state, you right. know. So uh, U.S. companies have the luxury of exporting to 49 other states, you know, depending on where you locate. So, Well, no, it's interesting you said that because when we think about economic development, we tend to focus on the well-known and recognizable brands. And we often forget that they're whole ecosystem of companies and organizations that we may not have heard of and are not household brands yet. So yeah, can you talk right. about yeah. how you interact yeah. with some of those companies, Brian? Yeah. Um, so w we will focus heavily on helping companies export. As I said, it's a it's a tried and true way to create jobs. So we yep. want, and our, our state is the most trade dependent state in the United States. So we're, we're really good at trade. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we want to make sure that you know, our small and medium-sized uh, businesses have every opportunity to succeed overseas. So we'll do that through trade missions and uh, bringing in foreign delegations to matchmake with our local companies. This is work we're doing now. Right. Um, and I think it's important to remember, I think, you know, this it's not said often enough that the majority of jobs in America are created by small and medium-sized businesses. Right. People think it's the big businesses, but it's small and medium-sized businesses that really drive our economy. Yep, they are the foundation of our economic ecosystem. So can you, t you just mentioned trade a bit. Can you talk about how you think current trade policies in the U.S. are having an <laughs> impact? Are they, are they not? Have you seen anything in Washington State? Um, so they are having an impact. Um, the trade war with China, um, I saw some statistics recently that, you know, trade is down. Um, I've talked to some Port of Seattle officials who are concerned that um, that some of those losses won't come back. 
um, because uh, these uh, companies that were exporting into the United States have had to find other channels. Right. So it's hard to replace that. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we're, you know, we're a big, resilient, uh, innovative country. Um, I, I think uh, I think this, you know, quote unquote trade war will be over soon. Um, and then we have to really focus on kind of, um, you know, rebuilding the damage. So right. I think our companies in some cases will have to pivot and look to other countries to fill some of those gaps. Uh, and that's something that Greater Seattle Partners is going to be uh, playing a big role in is helping our companies figure that out. Excellent. So I want to get a little personal now. Um, we are a father. You have a family that you're raising. Tell us about what it's like to be a parent here in the Pacific Northwest versus living in Atlanta, <laughs> for example. Well, I've raised, uh, I have five boys. Uh, three I raised in California. Uh, two were raised between Washington, D.C. and Atlanta. They're now here. Um, I think people make too much, uh, big, too much of a big deal about differences between places. I, I don't really see that much of a difference. Yeah. Um, I think the, I think my seventeen-year-old, who's becoming politically aware, mm -hmm. uh, coming from a red state to right. a blue state, has noticed some differences yep. in policy, which I think is great. But um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier we're we're a real outdoorsy kind of family, and. Uh, one of the things that we love is you can actually go outside during the summer here. <laughs> <laughs> right, instead of being huddled up inside the house because it's too hot. Yeah, with three air conditioners <laughs> right. blowing 24-7. Yep. You know, if you go outside, you get eaten by mosquitoes. Um, so we just we, we really enjoyed our summer um, and looking forward to you know skiing and snowboarding again this winter. Well, that's really great. So as we talk about who is Brian McGowan, Tell us about something that people would be surprised to learn about you. <laughs> um, well, I'm uh, I'm a first generation American. Okay, uh, my, please my, expand on yeah, that. Yeah, my my mother's an Irish immigrant. Uh, she immigrated here in 1963, and uh, I was born in the Bronx, New York. Uh, and my father's parents are both Irish immigrants. Uh, my father, my grandfather, my father's father, uh, came through Ellis Island. His name is on the wall at Ellis Island. So, I grew up in a very uh, um, Irish, culturally Irish family. Irish music and Irish stories and big, giant, loud, noisy New York Irish family gatherings. Right. Um, yeah. So. So I don't know if you want to share this, but I'm just going to ask you anyway. I remember you told me a story about your mother visiting. <laughs> MLK's gravesite in Atlanta and her <laughs> remark about infrastructure in America. Do you want to share that story? Yes. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I, I just love no, the story. No, that's that's why I had to bring it up. <laughs> when my mother first came to Atlanta to visit, I, I asked her, I said, you know, what, what, what do you want to do? What do you want to see? Um, and she said, I want to see um, uh, Ebenezer Church. And Part of that is because the the Irish had their own civil rights uh, issues uh, for many years with yeah. the British, and and a lot of Irish have a particular affinity to Martin Luther King. Yeah. So, so we pulled up in front of Ebenezer Church, and my five foot two um, Irish mother who raised seven kids, five boys, gets out, and she's not even looking up. I'm like, Mom, look, Ebenezer Church is over there, and she's looking at the sidewalks in the street. And she says, why does it look like, I won't use the word, yeah. <laughs> crap. So why does it look, why? the sidewalks were broken and stuff. And, and 
I said, well, you know, we there's it costs money to fix these things. She goes, isn't that your job? She says, you need to you need to fix this. <laughs> so I shared that with the mayor of Atlanta, and that's all fixed now. <laughs> well, all... See, see, there you go. So it, it took your mother to raise to raise an issue that was important. <laughs> Absolutely. And I tell people, it's like you know, mothers are very very effective at yeah. getting things done. So let's talk about what you do in all your spare time. <laughs> traveling, advocating for the metropolitan Seattle area. Tell us what TV shows you... What what have you binge-watched recently, if you've had time? Oh, God. You know, I have a hard time binge-watching things. I'm just kind of ADD. I get to... (laughs) You're just restless? I get to episode three, and I'm just... uh, I can't can't keep uh, uh, focused. Um, The last binge-watch show uh, was Vikings. Okay. So I really... That kept my attention for some reason. So it has to be compelling. So maybe it's not just you. Maybe it's the quality of the shows that you're Yeah, picking. and it was, his, you know, it's supposedly somewhat historically accurate. And I thought that was interesting too. So <laughs> interesting. So one of the things I like to do on this show is ask people what your walk-up song is when you're up to bat. <laughs> so, you know, here we are, big baseball game, bottom of the ninth, you're coming up, bases are loaded. <laughs> what walk-up song is going to be playing when you approach the base so that you can psych out the pitcher and just really get up there and do something amazing? So if you remember, this is the way I introduced my panel at the RLC, the uh, Regional Leadership Conference okay. last year. Right. Uh, so I love this. Um, so, yeah, to psych out uh, my opponents, I, I probably, uh, a, a song called Hardwired by Metallica. Okay. Because it's just a badass song. <laughs> there you go. But if 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 this, if this you're looking for kind of what is more kind of a theme song, yeah. I probably would say Born to Run, Bruce Springsteen, because I grew up in New Jersey. Oh, there no. you go. A great answer. So <laughs> I'm going to add a bonus question here okay. because it's football season and we know we uh, love our football in Seattle. So who do you think will be in the Super Bowl or at a minimum, who will be in the NFC Championship? Oh, boy. Good question. So I think the Seahawks are on a run now. I mean, I think, you know, we have the top rated quarterback in the NFL. Um, I think he's so much fun to watch. I think uh, Pete Carroll's an amazing coach. Um, I think the Seahawks are one of those teams you can never underestimate. You can never count them out because they fight to the end. Unlike the team in the city I left, Uh, (laughs) they seem to to drop the ball uh, literally in the third quarter. so I think the Seahawks. I'm I'm calling Seahawks Super Bowl. Okay. Yeah. Who will be their opponent? You know I don't know. I'm 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 not. Yeah. Sorry. I, I just. Uh, I, well, I like that you I, don't know. So I think that's actually a really big call on your part. Because <laughs> <laughs> some folks will go to a default team or, or two, and so I yeah. like that you don't know. But you don't yeah, think no. the Seahawks will be there. I think so. I just think they're hard to count out right yeah. now. Watching them, I you know the Ravens the other night were extraordinary. I love their quarterback. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how the Ravens do. So yeah. I think those are the two teams that I'm watching there with most interest right now. All right. Okay. So to our listeners, you heard it here first from Brian McGowan. The Seattle Seahawks will be in the Super Bowl this <laughs> Absolutely. year. Absolutely. And, you know, I had a chance to um, meet Russell Wilson at an event at the University of Washington. And you just get the impression when you meet him, it's like he never stops believing that his team is going to win. It just, yeah, he just I never agree. stops believing. Yeah, it. and, that and, faith and uh, Pete Carroll's the same yeah, way. Yeah, they just never yeah. stop believing. So that that has to have an influence on you know their ability to do well and pull it off. And I will say, I think that's kind of an attitude that we need to kind of make more per- pervasive in this region. I, yeah. I think we have everything going for us, and 
I think it's, um, you know, it's ours to lose uh, at this point. No, and I think that's a really good point you make because, you know, we're not just talking about economic opportunity. We're talking about solving some of our biggest challenges like homelessness and housing affordability and, you know, building an efficient mass transit system. So I like what you're saying about, like, you know, we need to have this attitude like, yeah, oh, it can be done. Absolutely. We have to work together and figure out how we're going to make it happen. Absolutely. All right. Well, on that note, I'm going to um, thank you for being on Under Construction, Brian. It was great to have you here. Thank you. You've been listening to Under Construction with Marilyn Strickland. Thanks for listening in, and we hope you return. Special thank you to our producers, Alicia Teal and Maggie Wilson of the Seattle Metro Chamber and our engineers at Cloud Studios here in Seattle. And thank you to our sponsor, Alaska Airlines. To learn more about the podcast, visit seattlechamber.com slash underconstruction. And stay in touch. Follow the Seattle Metropolitan Chamber of Commerce on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Seattle Chamber.